This morning, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about how to live a godly life. Um, this is one of those verses of Scripture that we look at often, and we, we read it, and we think about it, and we just kind of go over it and just kind of pass quickly through it. And I want us to slow down, and I want us to look at the words in this for a few minutes today to really think about what it means to live a godly life. Um, when you consider all that Paul wrote, or excuse me, that Peter wrote in this first few verses of this chapter, it's pretty impressive uh, and what he encourages us to do. And so I want to spend a few minutes with us here, share this with you again. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I don't know about you, but when I think of the divine power, there are two things that come to my mind. First of all, the word of God. I don't know how we would really have any understanding of who God or Christ are in our lives, or even the Spirit is, without having the Word of God. It is powerful. It is the two-edged sword. It divides asunder. I mean, it just does all of those things. I almost quoted King James. Did you notice that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I thought you might. But, but it is an amazing tool that we all have at our disposal. And it, and it has recently only been discovered that we could read. Did you know that? Because it hasn't been that many hundreds of years ago that people generally could not read. And they had to depend upon someone that they either met at a church or somewhere that could express to them something about who God was or who Christ was. They didn't have the ability to read for themselves who and what it was all about. So we are truly blessed as a people. And I'm telling you, even if you can't read well, because some people just really don't read well, there's this amazing concept in our world today in the 21st century. Here it is, 2020. It's called Audible. It's on your phone, and you can listen to the Word of God as easily or even easier than you could read the Word of God. And I encourage you, if you haven't listened to the Word of God in the last few days, pick it up. Turn on your phone, go to one of the apps. There are any number of apps and any different translations that you can listen to the Word of God. So instead of listening to whatever kind of music it is that you listen I started to say country music, but I didn't want to embarrass myself. But it, for whatever kind of music you might listen to on the radio, switch it over to your Bluetooth and plug in the audible version or some version of the Bible and listen to it because it might just make a difference in your day and in someone else's day when you hear something that directly relates to an experience that you have with them that day. So the Word of God is powerful. It is part of that divine power. Another part of this divine power is truly the Holy Spirit himself. That is divine. That is truly the greatest essence of the power of God is the Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is a part of our lives, there's always something that we can take comfort in. And it's simply this. We will never come across an experience when we don't know what to say. And you may be thinking, well, that's not really, that doesn't work for me. It will. If you trust in God and if you trust in his spirit to give you whatever those words are that you're supposed to say. And the reality of it is sometimes when you leave that conversation, you'll walk away and you'll be like, where did that come from? And how did I come up with that? And why? I don't even know where that came from. I think that every time I step down from the pulpit. You think I'm joking. I'm not. Every time I leave the pulpit, I'm like, where did that come from? I spend time studying, I spend time reading, I spend time putting the PowerPoints together and, and getting all this stuff straight in my head, but I'm telling you, when I leave here, at the end of the day, I ask my wife, and she's in the nursery today, if you haven't seen her yet, she's in the nursery, but I ask her, I said, well, what'd I say? Because I truly need to know sometimes what I said, and that's the Spirit of God. Those two things 
the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God can provide for us all that we need to live a godly life. Now, there's some of it then that depends upon us. And that's what Paul talks about in the remainder of these verses we're going to look at this morning. He says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection or brotherly love and to mutual affection love. He goes on to say we should have these in increasing measure and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want us to look at these words because this is where you and I come to work in this equation of having this divine power that God has given to us so that we can live godly lives. You and I have to be engaged in living and adding to our faith. Faith is the most basic component that any of us who understand who God is and what Jesus has done, it is the most basic component that we have when it comes to our knowledge of who Jesus is. Because faith is very, very simple. It involves two things. It really involves only two things. It, it involves believing that God is God and that Jesus is Jesus, and it, it, and it involves this element of trust. All of us in this room have at some point in the past, recently maybe, or far distance, I don't know, but we've all had the opportunity to play with the little baby. We've all had the opportunity to hold a child, a young child that can't walk, that can't really do anything, and guess who they trust? The person who's holding them in their arms. Babies trust because it is this innate instinct within them to trust, especially their mothers. Dads, good luck with that. But moms, it works. It works. When you and I think about faith, it is the most basic element that we have in our walk with God, and it involves two very simple things, believing He is who He is and Jesus is who He is, and trusting them that they're going to provide a way for us. And it is in that simple almost blind walk of faith, believing, and trusting that we begin this journey. Because how much did you really know when you accepted Christ? How much did you really know when you made that decision to be baptized for the remission of your sins? How much did you really know about living in Christ and living a godly life? And I remember the Sunday that I was baptized in Pontiac, Michigan, Sylvan Lake Church of Christ. I was nine years old. I was nine years old. We had driven to church that day. My dad had dropped off my mom and my little brother and my, my aunt, who was only three or four years older than me at the time, dropped them off the door. And I said, I'm going to ride with you to park the car, Dad. And in riding to park the car, I told my dad, I said, I want to be baptized today. He's like, why? It's a pretty good question, I think. Why? I said, because I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm supposed to be baptized so Jesus can save me. You know, I didn't really know anything about the Holy Spirit when I made that decision. Can you believe I didn't understand anything about tithing and offerings? I didn't know what the Lord's Supper really was. Can you believe I didn't know anything about music in the church? I had no idea what elders or deacons really were. Could I go on and on and on? How long would you like the list to be about stuff I didn't know about? But what I did know, I knew. And what I did know was enough. It was enough. And I made the decision. And that Sunday morning, I was baptized. And the next day, I went to school. And I knew I had to be different. And I knew I had to be good. I just knew that. There was just something innate. There was something that came over me when I made that decision to be baptized. I knew when I go to school tomorrow, I can't be the same. Now, I'm going to call myself this, but none of you have permission to do this except my mother. 
I knew I couldn't be the same Eddie Bush that I was when I went to school Friday. I was different. I had to be different. I had to be good. And it was different on the playground. I couldn't do some of the same silly, stupid stuff that I did last week. I had to be different. And I even was brave, brave enough or crazy enough, I don't know which word it was, but I was crazy enough to tell some of my friends, hey, I was baptized yesterday. And I remember one of my friends, he came up to me and he said, hey, man, can you say this cuss word? He was trying to tempt me to do something that I knew I shouldn't do and I had to be good. I said, no, I can't say those words anymore. Some of you will get that later, the anymore part. I can't say those words anymore. And he kept needling me and poking me and needling me and poking me. You should say this. Say this. How about this word? Can you say this word? No, I can't say that word. I had to be good. And I knew that there was something about making the decision to accept Christ, to be baptized for remission of my sins. I knew there was something that caused me to live a life that was just a little bit better than what it had been before. And then the amazing things happened. I had to develop a little bit of knowledge. Because all of us who have become Christians, and if you haven't yet, I encourage you to follow with me because this is a pattern that you can follow. But after you've obeyed the gospel and after you've learned that, that you need to be just a little better than you were, there comes this thing of acquiring some knowledge. Because it does matter that we study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. It does matter. Yes. Amen. It does matter that we, that we study. God didn't give us the Word of God to serve as a coaster for our coffee. He didn't give it to us to be a, 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 a little book that sits on the coffee table where everyone comes in and they see it and they think we are something. He gave it to us to read. He gave it to us to study. And those of us who come into the body of Christ understand that as our faith grows, our belief grows, as our trust grows, all of that is related and it's interconnected because we're better than we were and because we're beginning to learn. We're beginning to understand some of the principles that are found in the Word of God. It's called knowledge. Now, knowledge does nothing for us if we don't put it into practice. And so in adding to that knowledge, we have to learn to become self-controlled. You can't just fly off the handle anymore like you used to because you were the way that you were. And know it as I am. Have you ever heard anyone express that? Why do you do that? Well, it's just the way I am. You ever heard that? There's only one I am. And he died on a cross. None of us are I am. None of us are I am. Is your life all messed up and jacked up and, and, and just out of control? You don't have to do that anymore. And if you continue to do that, guess what? You made the choice to do it. It's not because I am. When you and I came into the body of Christ, things changed. And we became a new person. And the old man of sin that had its arms wrapped around us and, and, and had us shrouded in this cloud of darkness is taken off. And we can become new. But that newness comes in understanding how to live just a little bit better life. And it comes with an understanding and a studying of the Word of God to acquire knowledge so that we can become more self-controlled than we used to be. And that comes by a presence of an understanding of the Word. It comes by a presence of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. As we continually learn how to surrender ourselves to the Word and to the presence of God, we begin to be able to, more, to be more self-controlled so that whenever something happens, we can persevere through the worst of things. Nobody 
including Jesus himself, said, when you become a Christian, life gets easier. Nobody said that. Life is not fair unless your last name is fair. It isn't fair. I knew a fair. There was a guy who used to teach at Abilene Christian, Dr. Ian Fair. Any of you guys know him? He's a great teacher, great student of the word. Life is always fair for Ian. It's not fair for me. My last name is Bush. It is never going to be fair for me. But we have to learn to persevere through everything that comes our way, the good and the bad. And sometimes persevere, it takes more perseverance to endure through the good stuff than it does sometimes through the bad stuff. Because we know when the bad stuff is happening, oh, this too shall pass, this too shall pass. But when we're living in the good stuff, we're like, oh, it's going to be this way forever. And we never expect it to change. I'm here to tell you, perseverance is a huge part of growing in your faith with God and the presence of His Spirit. In the adult class this morning, we touched on the fact that we are not quite as persecuted as they were in the first century or in other countries during this day. But I would submit to you that our persecution is perhaps even greater than what they were undergoing in the first century because our persecution is hidden. It's subtle. You don't really know it. You don't really recognize it until all of a sudden it's got a hold of you, a stranglehold on you, and you can't get away from it. I've shared this story with you before. I'll share it again. I, you know, I grew up as a kid in North Alabama. My, mom, my dad took a little church in Mount Hope, Alabama, Lawrence County, Alabama, and there was one caution light. as a post office and two little stores. That was Mount Hope, Alabama. Oh, and a school. And there were a handful of churches. One of them was the Mount Hope Church of Christ. My dad preached there. But in that little community, it was a rural community. If you didn't have cattle, you had chicken houses. Sometimes you had both. But the coolest thing about that little community is that the, the guys that ran the cattle on their farms, they were, or the cows on their farms, they would dig these ponds because there weren't a lot of natural ponds, but they would dig ponds. And, and then the water would accumulate in the pond. And in the middle of the summertime, the heat of the summer, you'd drive through there and you'd see an old cow standing belly deep in the pond. Well, they didn't get there by jumping on the diving board. They got there by slowly walking into the water. And a cow doesn't just run and jump into the water like a dog might if he was going to go swimming with you at the lake. Cows don't do that. They walk in slowly and they look around and they see what's going around them because they're very, very curious about things that are going around them because they don't want to get caught by something that would hurt them. And I'm telling you, sin is like that in our lives. None of us expect to be caught in the stranglehold of sin, but we allow ourselves to slowly but surely walk into the muck and the mire, and we have to learn how to persevere through all of that. And it is only with the power of God's Spirit and His Word that guides us and controls us and keeps us in a way that we can get out. And when we learn how to truly persevere and get through those things, there is an essence and an aura of godliness that overcomes us that shines into the world. And it's not that you're like God. It's not that you are God. There are a lot of people in the world that say, I am God. And they live like, I am God. And they're not. But there's a sense of godliness that all of us should have. So that when someone sees you, when they hear you, when they're around you, when they experience work and entertainment and play and fun and all of the things that you do in life, when they experience you, they experience the presence and the essence of God.
Somewhere in the book it says something like this. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am what? They're in the midst of them. When's the last time God or Christ showed up at work with you? Or showed up in Starbucks or in the restaurant, wherever. Godliness is powerful because godliness means God is with you. And he's living with you. And the essence of his spirit and the essence of his life and the essence of his words come out of you. It's not your old man, but it's godliness. And he says, add to your godliness mutual affection and love. The greatest essence of godliness is loving other people. We studied just this morning in John chapter 15 and 16. The greatest command... The command that Jesus left for us, the command, he used the word command. He didn't use that word often, but the command he made was that we love one another. And we should love one another so much that we would be willing to lay down our lives for another. Well, how's that working out for you? Where is love? Where is that true agape love? where you care for the needs of others even more than you care for your own. That's the greatest essence of living. But I would submit to you that we really can't get to the point where we love people that way until we've mastered some of these other things. Paul makes this statement. We should possess these qualities in increasing measure And they will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of Christ. We should possess these qualities in increasing measure. In other words, you should have just a little bit more knowledge of the Word of God this year than you did last year. And you and I should be more engaged in in acts of love this year than we were last year. When those who are around us in the community see us, they should see the presence of God and godliness in us in an even more significant way this year than they did last year. Because these qualities we should have in increasing measure. And I remind you, it all begins with faith. It all begins in believing and trusting in God. It believes in giving ourselves the grace and mercy to allow ourselves to persevere through the really, really tough times without ripping each other apart while we're going through it. And also learning how to persevere even through those good times when we think they'll never end. Because the reality is, life changes. And there will be times when Satan shows up in your life to try to rip you to pieces. If you haven't read it recently, I encourage you to go back and read the first few chapters of the book of Job. Because in the book of Job, there's a conversation that goes on between God and Satan. And Satan recognizes Job, and he wants to get on and mess with him just a little bit. That's a paraphrase. And God says, go ahead. He won't forsake me. And then the rest of the story is he goes through everything. He loses everything in order that he could stand at the end of the day and recognize God for who he was. And the blessing of it all is after it was all done, all of the persecution, all of trial, all of the challenge, 
He was even more blessed than he had ever been, but he had to go through all of those things to get to the end. So this morning, I invite you to think about your walk with God. I invite you to have these qualities in increasing measure so that you may be a better person today and tomorrow and next week and next year than you were last week or last month or last year. Brendan is going to come and lead us in a song. And as we sing this song, I invite you to consider your walk with God. I invite you to consider how you can begin to have these qualities in increasing measure. And if there's anything we can do to help with you, to pray for you, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand together.